0: A lot of the message of the American church has been, come to Christ and he'll give you a great life. And there is this thought of, we come to Jesus and everything in your life will just be perfect from that day forward. No, in reality, you're going to have a Savior who knows your griefs, knows your sufferings, and he's going to enable you to go through those difficult times and give you strength during the difficult times.
1: Now, here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: As you get settled, you can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 31, or at least that's my attempt today. We'll see if we'll get through them all a wonderful study we've been having through the book of Galatians and it's going to get i think even better as we get into chapters 5 and 6 but there is so much we can learn from chapter 4 they were a church or a group of churches the churches in Galatia that had come to faith in Jesus Christ but some judaizers came in those who taught that in order to truly be saved you needed to also keep the laws of Moses and there were a group of churches that were being brought into bondage of which Paul is writing to tell them that you have all that you need in Christ Jesus and that we are free. And he's going to deal with that uh, subject of being free in Christ Jesus today in our study. And I think about our lives today. We, for the most part, don't have judaism to deal with although there are messianic uh, jews out there christians that sometimes they get so wrapped up in the messianic laws that they become very much like the judaizers of paul's day i'm not saying that all messianic believers do that but there are some cases and it's usually the gentiles the the non-jews who get really fired up and uh, they get really strict about the keeping of the law the law of moses and they can even look down on those who, you know, pretty much pay no attention to these things. But there are also cults out there, movements within the church. Uh, The Reformation movement is a very large movement within the church, and they can get us caught up into things that take us away from the truths of the gospel and the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. So last week, we learned that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we not only have access to God in heaven, and when we die, that we'll be in heaven with him, but he has also called us to be his children, that we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And it enables us to cry out, Abba, Father, to the Lord. And uh, I told you that, you know, that's something that's even hard for me to grasp the fact that You know, I understand salvation in the sense that we have been forgiven of our sins. It means that we've had a change of destination in eternity. We're not going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven. But God's grace expanded beyond our salvation to where he has called us part of the family of God, that we are his children and we can help people. We can save people from just horrific things on this earth, but it doesn't make them part of our family. But when God saves, you are his and you are part of his family. Here, Paul, he begins in verse 13 to just to bring to remembrance how he and Barnabas first came to them when they came on the first missionary journey, which we read about in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And Paul put them to a reminder here in verse 13. He says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. Now that caused me to just want to review a little bit of the early days with Paul and Barnabas as they came into these cities of Galatia. There was a region that they went out on the missionary journey and there was five cities involved. It was Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, And there were probably others, but these are the fives that are named for us in scripture. And this Antioch was Antioch of Pisteida. It's different from the other Antioch that we read about in scripture, but had the same name. So they distinguish it in that region by a different name. And when he came to Antioch, this is the first Message that we really get on the missionary journey. They'd already done some work. The work had already become difficult. John Mark had already left and went back to Jerusalem. But when they came into Antioch, Paul preached a very powerful message of which I want to just give you a a highlight of his closing statement here, where he says in Acts 13, 36 through 39, For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I find that interesting. The very first recorded message on this missionary journey to the churches of Galatia, Paul tells them that you can't be justified by the law. It's only through Christ that you are set free. And now the Judaizers have come in behind Paul and Barnabas, and they are saying justification truly comes by keeping the law. And so he's he's putting them to a reminder of those early days and the things that he had taught. But he's also talking about his physical infirmity, the I made me think of the persecutions that came as a result there in that church in Antioch as they were preaching and proclaiming the word of God. It was somewhat received. and, And then they came back and they preached the word again. And the Jews turned on Paul and Barnabas. They wouldn't receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, Paul turned to the Gentiles and said that now we're going to preach to you guys. And there was great joy. And the church was birthed and they began to grow. But the non-believing Jews and the prominent women and men of the city uh, brought in persecution against Paul and Barnabas that they had to leave. And they went to Iconium and a great multitude of Jews and Gentiles believed there. But persecution again quickly rose up against them. And it tells us that they were able to stay there for a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Who is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I can't think of a a better one two punch than to have the testimony of the word of God plus the testimony of the Holy Spirit, granting signs and wonders um, through the missionaries, the evangelists, even any preacher or person today that proclaims the word of God, to have that combined punch of God's word and God's Holy Spirit working in people's lives. But it goes on to tell us that there was a violent attempt made against their lives, and they fled to Leicester and Derby. There at Leicester, they uh, saw a man who had been crippled from birth, and, and the Lord allowed that man to be healed. And the people of Leicester, they saw Paul and Barnabas and thought Barnabas was Zeus, and Paul, as the main speaker, was Hermes, his speaker, and they wanted to worship them as gods. And they did everything in their power to prevent this worship to take place. And Paul and Barnabas cried out and said to them to turn from these vain things to the living God. But the scripture tells us they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. And then it's so strange that at that point, Because they stopped the worship, then they took Paul and drug him out of the city and stoned him. And scripture tells us that the believers then gathered around him and he rose up and he went into the city. I believe at that point, Paul had been stoned to death. And there is a portion of scripture in the epistles of Paul where he talks about a man and he doesn't say his name. He just says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And he said, I've seen things there. He didn't use the first person, or we'd know for sure it was Paul. But he said this man saw things that were inexpressible. Perhaps he was saying that there are words not given that could describe the glory that I saw in heaven. And yet the believers gathered around, and, and he rose, and he went back into the city. He stayed that night and then went to Derby the next day. From Derby, they returned back to all the former cities. But there was great persecution surrounding the message of the gospel. And the message that they preached as they returned to all the cities, as they went to strengthen the disciples and to exhort them, was that they should continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how many evangelists today tell people that they're trying to win to Christ, that, you know, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In fact, A lot of the message of the American church has been, come to Christ and he'll give you a great life. And there is this thought of, you know, we come to Jesus and everything in your life will just be perfect from that day forward. No, in reality, you're going to have a Savior who knows your griefs, knows your sufferings, and he's going to enable you to go through those difficult times. And give you strength during the difficult times. But coming to Christ, we come with many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. That we're going to go through some stuff in this world, and and I'm glad that the Lord gives us seasons. and And I kind of look at it that way now. That you know, it's a season. You may be in the middle of one of those seasons in your life where things have just been horrific. It's been difficult, and what I've learned by experience in my life is that seasons come and seasons go. And God will give you a, a season of relief. it will give you a, a season of peace. But he'll build you and strengthen you through the seasons of life that you go through. So Paul and Barnabas, through many persecutions and tribulations, brought the gospel to the churches in Galatia. And now he says in verse 14, My trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise nor reject But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So we're not sure what this um, physical infirmity was that Paul had, what the trial that he had when he came to preach to them, but. Whatever it was, the churches of Galatia, they didn't despise Paul and Barnabas as they came. In fact, he said, you guys saw me as an angel of God. That word um, angel in the Greek can also mean messenger. and, And that just seems to fit so much better for me personally, that he was a messenger from God. They saw him as a man of God, bringing forth the word of God. But then to be compared to Christ himself. You saw me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, that's a huge statement to make. I don't think I would ever even dream of saying that to anyone, nor would I want people to look at me and uh, hold me up as Christ Jesus himself. I know, Paul, you know, he didn't receive the worship in that way. In fact, in the church of Lestra, there in the city of Lestra he refused worship when they were trying to worship him think about paul and barnabas when they the holy spirit allowed them through the power of the holy spirit to heal this cripple that had been lame or crippled from birth they could have set up shop there for the rest of their life it would have been a complete lie but as a man they could have set up shop and they could have lived there and been worshiped for the rest of their lives but they refused that glory but paul is saying this is how highly respected I was among you, that you saw me as an angel of God or as a messenger of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. So much so that they were willing, if possible, to pluck out their own eyes. Now, many have theorized because of these few verses right here, verses 13, 14, and 15. Also because in chapter 6, verse 11, as he's closing out the letter, he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Many have theorized that he had something going on with his eyes. There is a a disease that I read about. I don't know if we could attribute it to Paul or not. That was prominent in that Middle East, in that area at that time, and it would cause just some kind of gross pussing of the eyes and stuff, and which would normally make you want to look away from someone. But he said, "You received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself." So the scripture is silent as to exactly what was going on with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us about a time where he had a thorn in the flesh. Whether he's referring to this same condition or not, we can't be sure. But he, he said that that thorn in the flesh in verse 7 was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he goes on to say, therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we're not sure what that thorn in the flesh was. We're not sure what the physical infirmity was that he referred to here. But we do know that there was a great love that the church has had toward Paul. Paul said, you'd been willing to give me your own eyes if you were able to. And let me ask you, how many of you have uh, donated an eye to anyone? <laughs> you know, and we could think, well, you know, take one eye, at least I can still see. And I got the other. But it's that, really that sense of this is how far your love was for me. You'd be willing to go to that place if possible to give me your own eyes. In verse 16, it says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them, but it is good to be zealous and a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. And so now he he changes. He's talking directly to them about how he's feeling. He says, first of all, if I become your enemy? Because I tell you this truth. Have I become the enemy? Paul is asking. It's a word in the Greek that means to hate as an enemy. And so there's this sense of, of hatred that goes along with this word. To hate as an enemy. To no longer regard an individual as a brother or to Actually, take him out of the community. You're not part of us anymore. Paul is saying, if I become your enemy, this is the guy who introduced the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. But like most cults do, um, when there is a powerful work of the gospel going on in someone's life and a cult comes in and they try to take that person away or snatch them away, the one way that they are able to do that is by closing down relationships around that individual, especially relationships that can keep them in the truth of God's word. And so, like the Jehovah's Witness, well, they'll shut down relationships in an individual's life that they're courting to become a witness like them. And they need to break ties with the non-believers. And it's been a while since a Jehovah's Witness has come to the house, but I know some things about the Jehovah's Witness that make it rather fun for a Christian to deal with a Jehovah's Witness. One is that If you would say, you know, before we talk about this, I really would like to pray. And, uh, you know, can we pray before we begin to talk about God's word? They'll say, yeah, sure, we can pray. But, you know, for most of us, when we pray, we close our eyes so we don't see what's going on. If you're praying in the name of Jesus, Jehovah's Witnesses are told that they don't have to listen to you. But if you invoke the name of Jehovah, they have to pray with you. And so you can just say, can we pray? And they'll say, sure. And then you can begin your prayer by invoking the name of Jehovah, Father of Jesus Christ. And suddenly they have to be with you. They have to pray with you in that way. But what the witness will do is to shut down relationships. And it seems so similar to here with the Judaizers. They were trying to shut down the relationship. Paul himself saying, if I become your enemy that you would want to exclude me. And, and that word in the Greek for exclude means to remove someone from association. So very similar to that of being in an enemy, but to separate. You want to exclude me that you may be zealous for them. And then he goes to talk about what it means to be zealous. And Paul understood this greatly. Now, Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees. He said in Matthew twenty three fifteen, you travel land and sea to one, one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves. Now that's a pretty bold and strong statement from our Lord, but this is what the Judaizers were doing. And Paul understood this type of zealousness because he used to be like them. He said in verse 18, it's good to be zealous in all, a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. And, and and there's two things that I see. Paul understood what it meant to be zealous, and he was zealous for Christ right now. But he also understood the Judaizers' type of zealousy. Turn back to uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to read the verses out of order, but we're going to begin in verse 14. This is Paul's zealousy, where he said in verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Now, what Paul did with that zealousy is found in verse 13. For you've heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measured and tried to destroy it. So Paul knew this type of zealousy. Because he had once lived that life and the Lord had redeemed him, had freed him from that. But he also knew what the churches in Glacier were getting themselves into because he knew that it was a dead end road. It was a road of works for salvation that could never bring peace. And they were going backwards. And as we learned last week, they were actually putting themselves backwards into the bondage of the law when Christ had set them free from the law. To be zealous it means to have a warm feeling for or against someone and we think of this in our term of zealousy we think of somebody who's really fired up and and going towards someone with strength and with zeal and yet there is this affection that in the greek word that goes along with it that you're zealous it's good to have zealousy for a good thing always he said and not only when I'm present with you. That That's the other thing that this verse caused me to think about, because quite often we can have this type of zeal for Christ when we're hanging around other believers. That It reminds me of uh, being a father and now a grandfather, but having children. and And they tend to, not always, but they tend to act better when you're around. But when you Just leave them be to get into their own mischief sometimes. No telling what will take place because nobody's watching. This thought that nobody sees, nobody's watching. And I was thinking about Paul calling the church to once again be zealous for the good things of the Lord. And he always, he's saying, not while I'm just not while I'm with you, but also when I'm apart from you. And he had this cry to the church of Philippi in Philippians 1.27, he said, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So whether I'm with you or apart from you, just let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. I was thinking about this worthiness, this type of zeal. In a good thing, and I was thinking of this, if we can learn to walk in worthiness and in zeal when no other eyes see us but Jesus himself, then we will walk in worthiness and zeal when all other eyes are watching us. Now, if we can stand fast in Christ when we're by ourselves and we know the only eyes who can see us is Jesus, then we're going to have that worthiness. We're going to have that zeal when all other eyes are watching us. And I think that's the type of believer that the Lord wants us to be. One that is true to his word, whether other people are watching or not, with the thought that God sees and God knows. And perhaps there's a bondage that you have been dealing with that has enslaved you. And I believe today the spirit of God is available to each of us to set us free. We know we're not living as Christ would have us to, and we got some things that the Lord has been working and dealing in our lives, and he wants to set us free today. He wants to cleanse us from these things. Christ wants to set you free. Father, I just pray that you would be with us now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be in this house and that you'd work among us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.